Episode 26. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxa General. The General is hip deep in Gatsby Days fun this month. Check it all out at www.gatsby.com. We were celebrating the Arts and Crafts Festival and are getting ready for the Gatsby Day Parade. This is its 250th year and the party's all day and night and preparation is the key. So make ahead dishes and drinks are called for. Today, we are going to talk about baked stuffed peppers and a high-drama cocktail that is so easy to make ahead, a pineapple lemonade slash strawberry mint frozen vodka smoothie. But first, I would like to thank our Patreon subscribers. These harmonious people are the divas to the opera that is the Patuxent General. Without them, we are merely atonal drunken cats caterwauling into the night. To become one of them, follow the show notes to our Patreon page. Running this show is our passion, so thank you. On to the recipes. All over the world, there is some kind of stuffed pepper. If you can make a hole in it, somebody is going to want to stuff something inside it, gastronomically speaking. Now, growing up, I had a bad glumkies experience. So when I saw that meat and rice were being stuffed into something, I balked. Dad looked at my dubious expression and reassured me that he was doing it in the Italian way and I would love it. So here is my dad's Yankee version of my great aunt's recipe for her Sicilian husband. For this recipe, you will need four extra large peppers, any color, although mix and match colors look really pretty. One onion, finely chopped. Three cloves garlic, also finely chopped. One pound ground meat. Uh, Anything will do, even meat replacement options. However, I use one half beef and one half pork. Two cups of rice, three quarters of the way cooked. Arborio is my choice. Two cups of grated Romano cheese. Two eggs. One jar of homegrown peeled tomatoes or a can of peeled tomatoes. Two tablespoons Italian seasoning. Salt and pepper. You'll also need a baking dish somewhat deep so that your peppers stand up nice and pretty. One tablespoon of cracked red pepper and one cup cheddar cheese shredded. First things first. Wash, cut off the tops and de-seed your peppers. Set aside. Then, saute the onions, cracked red pepper and finely chopped pepper tops until they are soft. and throw them into your mixing bowl for the stuffing. Take your ground meat and lightly brown it in a pan with Italian seasoning and garlic. Put that in and then add the rice, grated cheese, eggs, and one cup of canned tomatoes once it is cooled a bit. Taste to adjust the seasoning, adding salt and pepper. Mix thoroughly. Stuff into peppers, top with the rest of the canned tomatoes and cheddar cheese. Cover with parchment paper and tin foil and then bake for 30 minutes in a preheated 375 degree oven. Then remove the cover and bake for another half an hour until bubbly and lightly brown. Serve this way, hot with pasta, or you could freeze them at this point for a meal in the future, or even cold and served on a salad with Italian dressing for hot day fare. But anyway, enjoy them. All right, this drink recipe sounds a bit complicated, but it is easily made well ahead. Two blenders mix this to perfection. Half and half is still my favorite way. This recipe works best with frozen fruits. That way your drink doesn't get watered down and tastes amazing. All right, the first drink, 
frozen pineapple lemonade. For this drink, you will need eight ounces of your favorite vodka, two small or one large bag of frozen pineapple, enough to three quarters the way fill a large blender, one can of frozen lemonade, or you could fill ice cube trays with lemon juice and freeze them for a sugar-free version. Throw the pineapple, vodka, and half the can of lemonade into the blender and blend until smooth. Put it in the freezer. This next smoothie is the drama part. A strawberry mint lemonade. For this, you will need one bag frozen strawberries, a bunch of mint de-stemmed, one can frozen lemonade, or lemon ice cube. Eight ounces vodka of your choice. Add all to the blender and blend until smooth. You can freeze until needed or pour at the same time as the other flavor for a half and half, which is really the best. Top of the sprig of mint and enjoy. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball and pinball and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now for our House in the Corner series, the continuing reading of the case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. Section 3. The next morning, Willette received a message from the senior ward, saying that Charles was still absent. Mr. Ward mentioned that Dr. Allen had telephoned him to say that Charles would remain at Patuxet for some time, and that he must not be disturbed. This was necessary because Allen himself was suddenly called away for an indefinite period, leaving the researchers in need of Charles' constant oversight. Charles sent his best wishes and regretted any bother his abrupt change of plans might have caused. In listening to this message, Mr. Ward heard Dr. Allen's voice for the first time, and it seemed to excite some vague and elusive memory which could not actually be placed, but which was disturbing to the point of fearfulness. Faced by these baffling and contradictory reports, Dr. Willette was frankly at a loss what to do. The frantic earnestness of Charles' note was not to be denied, yet could one think of its writer's immediate violation of its own express policy? Young Ward had written that his delvings had become blasphemous and menacing, that they and his bearded colleague must be extirpated at any cost, and that he himself would never return to their final scene. Yet according to the latest advices, he had forgotten all this and was back in the thick of the mystery. Common sense bade one leave the youth alone with his freakishness, yet some deeper instinct would not permit the impression of the frenzied letter to subside. Willett read it over again and could not make its essence sound as empty and insane as both the bombastic verbiage and its lack of fulfillment would seem to imply. Its terror was too profound and real, and in conjunction with what the doctor already knew, evoked vivid hints of monstrosities from beyond time and space to permit of any cynical explanation. There were nameless horrors abroad, and no matter how little one might be able to get at them, one ought to stand prepared for any sort of action at any time. For over a week, Dr. Willette pondered on the dilemma which seemed to be thrust upon him. 
and became more and more inclined to pay Charles a call at the Patuxet bungalow. No friend of the youth had ever ventured to storm this forbidden retreat, and even his father knew of its interior only from the descriptions as he chose to give. But Willette felt that some direct conversation with his patient was necessary. Mr. Ward had been receiving brief and non-committal typed notes from his son, and said that Mrs. Ward, in her Atlantic City retirement, had no better word. So at length, the doctor resolved to act, and despite a curious sensation inspired by the old legends of Joseph Kerwin, and by more recent revelations and warnings from Charles Ward, set boldly out for the bungalow on the bluff above the river. Though Willette had visited the spot before through sheer curiosity, though of course never entering the house or proclaiming his presence, hence knew exactly the route to take. Driving out Broad Street one early afternoon toward the end of February in his small motor, he thought oddly of the grim party which had taken that self-same road a hundred and fifty years before on the terrible errand which none might ever comprehend. The ride through the city's decaying fringe was short, and trim Edgewood and sleepy Patuxet presently spread out ahead. Roulette turned to the right down Lockwood Street and drove his car as far along the rural road as he could. Then alighted and walked north to where the bluff towered above the lovely bends of the river and the sweep of the misty downlands beyond. Houses were still few here, and there was no mistaking the isolated bungalow with its concrete garage on a high point of land at his left. Stepping briskly out of the neglected gravel path, he rapped on the door with a firm hand and spoke without a tremor to the evil old man who opened it to the width of a crack. He must, he said, see Charles Ward at once on vitally important business. No excuse would be accepted, and a repulse would mean only a full report of the matter to the elder Ward. The man still hesitated and pushed against the door when Willette attempted to open it. But the doctor merely raised his voice and renewed his demands. Then there came from the dark interior a husky whisper, which somehow chilled the hearer through and through, he did not know why he feared it. Let him in, Tony, it said. We may as well talk now as ever. But disturbing as was the whisper, the greater fear was that which immediately followed. The floor creaked and the speaker hove in sight. And the owner of those strange and resonant tones was seen to be no other than Charles Dexter Ward. The minuteness with which Dr. Willette recalled and recorded this conversation of that afternoon is due to the importance he assigns to this particular period. For at last it concedes a vital change in Charles Dexter Ward's mentality and believes that the youth now spoke from a brain hopelessly alien to the brain whose growth he had watched for six and twenty years. Controversy with Dr. Lyman had compelled him to be very specific. And he definitely dates the madness of Charles Ward from the time the typewritten notes began to reach his parents. These notes were not in Ward's normal style not even in the style of the last frantic letter to Willette. Instead, they were strange and archaic, as if the snapping of the writer's mind had released a flood of tendencies and impressions picked up unconsciously through boyhood antiquarianism. There is an obvious effort to be modern, but the spirit and occasional language of those of the past. The past, too, was evident in Ward's every tone and gesture as he received the doctor in the shadowy bungalow. He bowed, motioned Willette to have a seat, and began to speak abruptly in that strange whisper, which he sought to explain at the very outset. 
I am grown physical from this cursed river air. You must excuse my speech. I suppose you are coming to see from my father what ails me, and I hope you will say nothing to alarm him. Willette was studying those scraping tones with extreme care, but studying even more closely the face of the speaker, something he felt was wrong. He thought of what the family had told him about the fright of the Yorkshire butler that night, and wished it was not so dark. But he did not request that the blind be open. Instead, he merely asked Ward why he had belied the frantic note of little more than a week ago. "'I was coming to that,' the host replied." You must know I am in a very bad state of nerves, and do and say queer things I cannot account for. As I have told you often, I am on the edge of great matters, and the bigness of them has a way of making me light-headed. Any man might well be frightened of what I have found, but I am not put off for long. It is a dance to have the guard and stick at home. For having gone this far, my place is here. I am not well spoke by my prying neighbors, and perhaps I was led by weakness to believe myself what they say of me. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. There is no evil to any in what I do, as long as I do it rightly. Have the goodness to wait six months, and I'll show you what you pay your penance well. You may well know that I have ways of learning old matters from the things surer than books, and I will leave you to judge the importance of what I can give to history, philosophy, and the arts by the reason of the doors I have access to. My ancestor had all this when those witless peeping toms came and murdered him. I now have it again, or I'm coming very imperfectly to have a part of it. This time nothing must happen, and least of all through any idiot fears of my own. Pray forget all that I writ you, sir, and have no fear of this place or any in it. Dr. Allen is a man of fine parts, and I owe him an apology for anything ill I have said of him. I wish I had no need to spare him, but there were things he had to do elsewhere. His zeal is equal to mine in all these matters, and I suppose when I feared the work, I feared him too, as my greatest helper in it. Ward paused, and the doctor hardly knew what to say or think. He felt almost foolish in the face of this calm repudiation of the letter. And yet there clung to him the fact that while the present course was strange and alien and indubitably mad, the note itself had been tragic in its naturalness and likeness to the Charles Ward he knew. Willette now tried to turn the talk on early matters, to recall to the youth some past events which would help restore a mood. But in this process he obtained only the most grotesque results. And it was the same with all the alienists later on. Important section of Charles Ward's store of mental images, mostly those touching modern times and those of his personal life, 
had been unaccountably expunged, while all the massed antiquarianism of his youth had welled up from some profound subconsciousness to engulf the contemporary and the individual. The youth's intimate knowledge of elder things was abnormal and unholy, and he tried his best to hide it. When Moulette would mention some favorite object of his boyhood, archaistic studies, he often shed by pure accident such a light as no normal mortal could conceivably be expected to possess, and the doctor shuddered as the glib illusion glided by. It was not wholesome to know so much about the way the fat sheriff's wig fell off as he leaned over at the play in McDouglas's Histrionic Academy in King Street on the 11th of February, 1762, which fell on a Thursday, or about how the actors cut the text of Steele's Conscious Lover so badly that one was almost glad the Baptist-ridden legislator closed the theater a fortnight later. That Thomas Sabin's Boston coach was damned uncomfortable old letters may have told. But what healthy antiquarian could recall how the creaking of Appenitus Olney's new signboard, the gaudy crown that he set up after he took to calling his tavern the Crown Coffee House, was exactly like the first through notes of the new jazz piece all the radios in Patuxet were playing. Ward, however, would not be quizzed along this vein. Modern and personal topics he waved away summarily. Whilst regarding antiquaphase, he soon shooed the plainest boredom. What he wished clearly enough was only to satisfy his visitor enough to make him depart without the intention of returning. To this end, he offered to show Will at the entire house, and at once proceeded to lead the doctor through every room from cellar to attic. Willette looked sharply, but noted that visible books were far too few and trivial to have ever filled the wide gaps on Ward's shelves at home, and the meager so-called laboratory was the flimsiest sort of blind. Clearly, there was a laboratory and library elsewhere, but just where it was impossible to say. Essentially defeated in his quest for something he could not name, Willette returned to town before evening and told the senior ward everything which had occurred. They agreed that the youth must be definitely out of his mind, but decided to do nothing drastic just then. Above all, Mrs. Ward must be kept in complete and ignorance as her son's strange type notes would permit. Mr. Ward was now determined to call in person upon his son, making it wholly a surprise visit. Dr. Willant took him in his car one evening, guided him to within sight of the bungalow, and waited patiently for his return. The session was a long one, and the father emerged in a very saddened and perplexed state. His reception had developed much like Willette's, save that Charles had been an excessively long time in appearing after the visit had forced his way into the hall, and sent the old man away with an imperative demand. And in the bearing of the altered son there was no trace of filial affection. The lights had been dim. Even so, the youth had complained that they dazzled him outrageously. He had not spoken out loud at all, averring that his throat was in very poor condition, but the hoarse whisper there was some quality so vaguely disturbing that Mr. Ward could not banish it from his mind. Now, definitely leagued together to do all that they could towards the youth's mental salvation, Mr. Ward and Dr. Willette set about collecting every scrap of data which the case might afford. But Tuxet gossip was the first item they studied— and this was relatively easy to glean, for both had friends in that region. Dr. Willette obtained the most rumors because people talked more frankly to him than a parent of the central figure. And from all he heard, he could tell that young Ward's life had become indeed a strange one. 
Common tongues would not disassociate his household from the vampirism of the previous summer. Whilst the nocturnal comings and goings of the motor trucks provided their share of dark speculation, local tradesmen spoke of the queerness of the orders brought to them by the evil-looking man, and in particular of the inordinate amounts of meat and fresh blood secured from two butcher shops in the immediate neighborhood. For a household of only three, these quantities were quite absurd. Then there was the matter of the sounds beneath the earth. Reports of these were harder to pin down, but all the vague hints tallied in certain basic essentials. Noises of a ritual nature positively existed, and at times when the bungalow was dark. They might, of course, have come from the known cellar, but rumors insisted there was a deeper and more spreading crypts. And recalling the ancient tales of Joseph Kerwin's catacombs and assuming for granted that the present bungalow had been selected because of its situation to the old Kerwin's site, as revealed in one of the other documents from behind the picture, Dr. Willette and Mr. Ward gave this phase of the gossip much attention and searched many times without success for the door in the riverbank which the old manuscripts mentioned. As to popular opinions of the bungalow's various inhabitants, it was soon plain that the evil old man was loathed and the bearded and spectacled Dr. Allen feared and the pallid young scholar disliked to a profound extent. During the next week or two, Ward had obviously changed much. Abandoning his attempts at affability and speaking only in hoarse but oddly repellent whispers on the few occasions that he ventured forth, such were the shreds and fragments gathered here and there. Over these, Mr. Ward and Dr. Willette had many long and serious conferences. They strove to excise deduction, induction, and constructive imagination to their utmost extent, and to correlate every known fact of Charles' later life, including the frantic letter which the doctor now showed the father, within the meager documentary evidence available concerning old Joseph Kerwin. They would have given much for a glimpse of the papers Charles had found. For very clearly the key to the youth's madness lay in what he had learned of the ancient wizard and his doings. We would like to thank you again for joining us today at the PG. Last week we were at the Gatsby Day celebration with our pop-up general store. We met so many new friends and sold tons of good stuff in cooperation with the favorite bakery, the Edgewood Cheese Shop and the Virginian Spanish Nut Company. Not to mention Tag Sale Treasures, a local antique store which has so generously let us encamp with them. We will be joining them again on the 18th of June. The Gatsby Day Parade is the 11th. We will all be there and take lots of photos so that you don't miss a thing. Now, if you become one of our Patreon subscribers, you will receive lots of extra Gatsby content. And you can do that by following the link in the show notes. You won't be sorry, and we'll garnish our never-ending appreciation and affection. So please do, and then meet me back here next time at the Patuxent General. A Something for Posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxent.